Welcome to the Alaska Journey Podcast. My name is Jamin Gerker. I'm a realtor in South Central Alaska, and my mission is to help people to build an intentional and significant legacy for themselves and their families by coaching them in real estate. And the purpose of this podcast is to share with you the authentic stories of those who are living in Alaska to really bring the last frontier to life for you. And today we have a very special guest. He has lived in Alaska for his entire life. And I am just going to read off of his um, off of his website here and go from there. So he was born at an early age, abandoned by his parents on his 20th birthday. He was forced to wander aimlessly in his neighbor's backyard. It was there that he was adopted by a pack of friendly ground squirrels and taught the ways of small rodents, subsisting mainly on grass, seeds, and insects. Um, he grew and grew until one day the neighbors finally got sick of the huge holes he was digging in his rose garden and had him leave the state. Thus, in 1988, he moved from his home in Alaska to Sarasota, Florida, where he had the nice opportunity to learn some of the cartooning tricks of the trade from Hagar the Horrible creator, um, Dick Brown. While in Saratoga, he also got to know another cartoonist that lived in the area. That cartoonist was Mike Peters, the creator of Mother Goose and Grimm. It was Peters um, who set him on his current project of Tundra by telling him to draw what you know. Having grown up throughout the state of Alaska, he decided that what he knew was animals and nature. Because of this, he decided to head back to his home state. Once there, he began the awesome task of beating Tundra into the psyche of every man, woman, and child, and household plant that roamed the four corners of the globe. From these humble beginnings, he has turned his artwork into a thriving comic strip known as Tundra, which now runs in almost 650 newspapers throughout the U.S., Canada, Europe, and even Jamaica and Trinidad. In May of 2018, he was presented with the Rubin Award for Best Newspaper Panel by the National Cartoonist Society, which is which is essentially the... Um, uh, the Oscars for comic strips. So Tundra has become the most successful self-syndicated newspaper comic in history. And um, without further ado, let me go ahead and introduce you to our guest today, Chad Carpenter, the creator of the Tundra comic strip. Oh, well, thank you. You've actually said it all. I think we're done now. <laughs> <laughs> Drop the mic. Me. Done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So... Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that is quite an intro. You've uh, you've definitely had a very interesting, colorful career. <laughs> yeah. yeah, most of that was true. Most of most. Of it, uh, <laughs> oh, that's yeah. awesome! I, yeah. I love that you got to got to go me like a you know Dick Brown and like all these other like cartoonists out there too. Is that just kind of the the nature of the cartoonist industry? Is it very open and easy to? get to know people or uh it it has been yeah i've been i was always pleasantly surprised i uh that was about 30 years ago a little over 30 years ago when i went moved to florida sarasota and um i met dick brown on a golf course told him i was a cartoonist from alaska although at that point i hadn't even had published anything i just wanted to be a cartoonist and uh he was instantly really nice and he invited me to a studio to show me up and introduced me to all the team that he had there and how he did Hagar and all the people that did the lettering and the coloring and all the other people. And 
And that's what really inspired me to think, hey, you know, this this is legit. This is a real job. You know, a grown man can draw cartoons and be respectable to some degree. And uh, so that was important. And then Mike Peters, who lived there in Sarasota, also was very, very well open. And um, while I was there, I went to different cartoonist events with Jim Davis, who does Garfield, Mort Walker, Beetle Bailey, uh, Johnny Hart, who did BC, um, and all the all of them. Were absolute gentlemen, you know, absolute helpful, fantastic people. Um, Lynn Johnson did for better, for worse. Uh, she was, she was absolutely inspiring. I loved her. Um, a lot of these people are either retired or dead now, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I'm still going. And, uh, Jim Davis and Mike Peters are still going. Yeah. Oh, outstanding. Outstanding. So I guess let's go ahead and just jump into this then. Um, what are, I'm just going to pitch you a real slow one here. What were some of your, um, some of your early memories of comic strips growing up? Uh, the, the, the people I listed, of course, BC, um, uh, Garfield. Garfield was huge to me. Uh, Garfield came out when I was 10, 10 years old. And I was in uh, fourth, no, I must have been, I was 11 years old. I was in fifth grade. And I was sitting in music class and I heard uh, the kid behind me laughing and I turned around, looked behind me and there was uh, a kid named Kevin reading this little Garfield book. Um, I get back to, I don't know if um, reading this little red Garfield book and I'd never heard of Garfield. In fact, probably most people didn't back then. It was the very first Garfield book and he was laughing at it. He had a girl on either side of him reading over his shoulder and they were laughing and I thought, ooh, cartoons attract the ladies. So I thought, hey, that's, I want to be a cartoon. And uh, I was wrong about that. But I, but, but I still became a cartoonist. And, false uh, advertising. Yeah, yeah. So that's what really got me going. I used to draw Garfield all the time. Constantly drawing Garfield. And over the years, I got to meet Jim Davis several times. And it was really cool that I got to tell him that story. Although I'm sure he's heard that story from many other cartoonists. So he inspired many other people, not just me, of course. But uh but it was still cool to be able to tell them the story of how I got started was because when I first saw that Garfield book, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Man, and that's, uh, I, that's really kind of the experience I've seen a lot of, a lot of cartoonists kind of explain that, you know, I grew up kind of watching this stuff and then, you know, just decided I wanted to kind of jump into it from there, but okay. Well, outstanding. So, we kind of talked a little bit before about, you know, kind of your decision to make it a very, very specifically kind of an Alaskan style uh, comic strip, which I mean, had not, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think that ever been done up to that point. Um, What were some of the, I guess, some of the concerns that you had when you were first, first jumping into it? Uh, well, there, there were a few other people who have uh, in the past done Alaskan comic strips, and there's still a couple of them out there, but at least one out there today besides myself. Um, but there haven't been haven't been a lot, and there hasn't been any that have crossed out of Alaska. Most of them were just done here in Alaska. Like, that's how I started, of course, the first 14 years. I was only in Alaskan newspapers, and it wasn't until uh, 2006 or so, 2005, that it started going out of the, outside the borders of Alaska. And then uh, it picked up, um, we picked up about 100 newspapers in the first year after we started getting out. 
within a year, we had about 100 newspapers. And then the LA Times picked us up. And once the LA Times picked us up, it just kind of kind of branched out rather quickly. And other big papers like the Chicago Tribune and uh, and San Francisco Chronicle and a whole bunch of other big papers picked it up. And the more big papers that picked it up, the, the easier it was to pick up other papers um, because we had a track record, basically. Man, and see, to me, that's fascinating because you were doing it for years, you know, because when did when was the, the first date that you, you know, published the first Tundra comic strip? And I guess at the time it was the um, the Anchorage was Anchorage, Anchorage Daily News. Yeah, that was uh, December 2nd, 1991 is when the very first strip ran. Yeah, right. So, I mean, it took to quite a ways to to like kind of gain that traction. And did you feel like you were moving in that direction or was it just suddenly a, a huge um, mushroom crowd, mushroom cloud <laughs> going up all Actually, of a sudden? I was perfectly content with the way it was going, just being in Alaska. Um, because I, you know, living in Alaska, I had this unique ability or a unique, I should say, opportunity to where where um, not only did did the locals like it and they were incredibly supportive, but we also had a fantastic tourism industry at that time. <laughs> and so I had a great, great market there. So I had really two really good markets. People would come up and they would buy the books and the calendars and all that because they it was very Alaskani. And then people that were local would buy it because it was very Alaskani and they'd want to send it out to their relatives outside. So... I was just doing perfectly fine and I didn't think it would go any further than that. You know, I always thought it would be fun if I got out further to uh, other States and other countries, but um, it wasn't until a buddy of mine named Bill who happened to be a really good salesman uh, said, Hey, you gotta let me take it out on the road and take it to newspapers around the country and see if I can sell it to other papers. And um and I, and I knew, you know, I thought, well, let's try it. I knew it was going to be expensive because I was going to have to pay for the, his entire trip, you know, renting a car, airfare, hotels, everything. I knew it was going to be expensive, but if I didn't do it, I would never know if it would have worked. I didn't want to, I didn't want to think 20 years down the road, boy, I wish I would have. Right. And just do it. And so the first trip I remember cost around $10,000 total. And he just mainly went around the Northwest and, it was a three-week trip, and by the time he got back, we had picked up exactly zero newspapers. <laughs> not a one, not a single one. But he got a lot of really good feedback from editors who said they loved it. They would love to pick it up, but none of them had ever picked up a strip that wasn't syndicated. And I was just a cartoonist by myself and my buddy Bill, of course. So technically, we weren't syndicated. We didn't have a big syndicate pushing us. And basically, we didn't have a, an... Uh, a well-known agent serving our, you know, serving us. Um, okay. So that's, that's what syndication is in the, the cartoon industry. Okay. Basically. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, roughly it's basically you have a representative who has been in the business for decades and decades who they can count on, who, who the newspapers will know the, the comics will be delivered on a good, at a good, uh, you know, reasonable timetable. Um, things will just be done right. And here I'm just some little guy in Alaska saying, hey, pick up my strip. I promise I won't let you down. I promise to deliver, you know, a, a strip every single day. <clears throat> and they weren't used to that. So they just didn't have the 
they didn't have the faith in me to, to pick it up, but they loved the strip. And it wasn't until uh, after he got back, we decided, well, let's try another trip. Since we got such good feedback, we just need to get one or two big papers to pick it up. And we knew that if we got a couple of brave newspapers, it would probably help snowball it. And that's actually what happened. Um, the first paper that picked it up outside of Alaska uh, wasn't wasn't very big. Um, trying to remember which one it was. Um, uh, I'll, I'll think of it anyway. But, but, the, but one of the first ones was Colorado Springs. Uh, I think they were the second paper that picked this up outside. And once Colorado Springs picked this up, other papers of similar size or smaller were a little more uh, likely to pick it up. And it just started started going from there. Right. And I'm sure being able to point back to and saying, hey, we've had, you know, over a decade's worth of consistently producing the material. So I'm not going to flake on you. Probably went a long way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had a good backlog of, you know, the books. We had several books by then. So there was a good track record. Good track record. Oh, outstanding. And then, I mean, from there, I mean, I have no idea how the, um, how licensing works with, uh, you know, with calendars and, and cards and all that stuff. Is that, is that just something that you do separately on the side or how does all that work? Uh, yeah, that's, that's a whole another another thing. Um, I used to go to Las Vegas every year. They have a huge, massive licensing show and it's held, uh, usually in the Mandalay Bay, um, center which is just this just seems like the building is miles and miles long you know but right but everybody is disney has uh representatives there all the movie the big movie um the move movie studios are there um whether it's you know nickelodeon or whether it's um you can just and, and anybody's there everybody's there and a few cartoonists like me actually i i was one of the only cartoonists that was like pretty small my booth was 10 feet by 10 feet just to give you an example, my booth was 10 feet by 10 feet. And um, like Nickelodeon's booth was probably 300 feet by 300 feet, double stories. They actually build intricate booths with where you can go upstairs and elevators. And um, <laughs> they had, a, I think it was MGM had a booth there that had like movie props. They had um, one of the, one of the booths had like the actual Batmobile in it, uh, promoting the new Batmobile. So I was, this tiny little cartoonist amongst, amongst, you know, the big, the biggest of the big. And, and I, I felt kind of <laughs> pathetic, but it worked. I would, you know, I would, I would, I would, uh, I was able to get a lot of um, licensing deals with note card companies or uh, calendar companies and magnets and all sorts of stuff. But it was really, it's a bizarre experience because here's some of these booths that literally cost millions of dollars to put together and mine consisted of a couple of tables and, uh, you know, some, some really, uh, cheap backdrop grids, you know, but it worked. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's fascinating. Like just the entire concept of that is just fascinating to me. Cause I mean, I've, I've done a lot of fiction writing uh, myself, done a lot of, you know, writing for new newspapers, magazines. So I kind of know how, how the rights work. So you literally just go there and you have the booth and you're trying to attract people in who are interested in taking the merchandise, purchasing the licensing to do specific things and off they go, man, that's fascinating. I wouldn't have even thought that was a thing. No, it's, it's a big thing. And it's, it's fun. I, we did it, I think four or five years 
And then um, things started to change. It started to get to where it just wasn't wasn't as productive anymore. Um, and so then we skipped a couple and then, uh, then we skipped a couple more <laughs> and then COVID <laughs> happened. And so I don't know, maybe I'll go back and I'd love to do another one sometime. I really would. Um, <laughs> because they were always productive. It was always worth doing, even though the whole, I mean, just the 10 by 10 space, I think was $7,000 just to rent the space. And then that's for, for the smallest space that they had. Um, and of course, by the time you get all your stuff in there and every, you know flying in the hotel, I mean it's a it's an expensive trip. So uh, so we wouldn't have done it if it wasn't worth it. But it uh, it's a big nut to crack at the beginning for you know when you're going there first. Yeah, man, that's that's fast. Okay, I I could probably spend a long time just asking questions about that, but <laughs> let, me, <laughs> let me go and ask you this real quick then. So obviously the comic strip took off mushroomed and and it's kind of become this this you know the largest non-syndicated comic strip in history um so what do you believe is kind of the appeal of tundra to those who are you know not in alaska because i mean you know we're in alaska it's a very i mean you see some stuff in there and it's like yeah that's quintessential alaskan humor on display right there so I think just being from Alaska was a huge part of it. That was a huge thing that that um, gave gave me the success that I've had is because people love Alaska. Um, people are interested in it. And even though my strips are very, you know, anybody knows what a snow, you don't have to live in Alaska to understand the strip. You know, everybody knows what a snowman is. Everybody knows what a dog sled is. Um, you know, moose, bears. I mean, they're, you know, it's not, it's not like so uniquely Alaskan that people wouldn't understand it. Although if you live here, some things are funnier. You know, there's a lot of my strips, I believe that are just funnier if you're from here or if you can identify with it. But, um, but I think the fact that uh, it's, it's an Alaskan strip has been very, uh, very, very much the reason that it's, it's gone out to so many parts of the world. Yeah. Outstanding. So I guess this is a, it's kind of another, uh, another question I have here and you're kind of the subject expert. So I'm, I'm just going to see what you think here. Um, would you say that the Alaskan sense of humor is, is different from the sense of humor you might find in, in other States or other countries for that matter? Uh, well, there's certainly some States that, <laughs> that, um, I get more complaints from, <laughs> you know, I mean, you 99% of the feedback I get is all positive, probably even 99.9. I don't know, but most of the feedback I get is positive because I never, I never try to offend. I mean, I'm always, but at the same time, I, I don't like, I don't try to water my strip down so I don't offend anybody. But I, anytime I do get complaints, it's usually from California. That's just, <laughs> sort of it. and no other state really compete i mean sure i get a random ones from here and there but if you were to put all the complaints together i've gotten in the last 15 years 80 85 percent would be from california i mean just being honest yeah so what i guess what did i mean i'm looking at the stuff it's it's very it's very clean it's very wholesome i mean there's nothing that's it's not, it's not, that's, not the <laughs> that's not the problem in fact if, if it wasn't clean or and it wasn't wholesome California wouldn't complain actually probably uh, <laughs> no. it's 
It's anytime you have anything like an animal being harmed in any way, whether it's roadkill or if it's even an outhouse offends people sometimes. It just is the way it is. I mean, people, if people aren't used to that, seeing things like that in life anymore, like if people live in the city and they're not used to roadkill, they're not used to having to use an outhouse, they're not used to people having to survive off the land, that tends to upset people when they do get reminded that that is out there or you know (laughs) it's it's a weird thing i don't i don't understand it completely but um that's just the way it is it's usually from the big cities people will complain but at the same time i've got plenty of fans from the big cities who love it because not everybody's like that you know it's not everybody gets a chooses to be offended so easily (laughs) in fact luckily the vast majority of people don't choose that it's just the ones that do get offended easily the noisy ones are the ones that get the attention yeah and that's, and that's the way it is throughout the world. yeah i mean we're definitely seeing a lot of that just with cancel culture and oh man like i know comedians are just i bet they feel like they're on the battle line battlefront just all the time holding the line <laughs> And you, you probably know there's been a lot of comedians that don't go to colleges anymore to do the, do their act because they can't. They can't do it because they get booed off the stage. They get people protest against them because they don't like their jokes. Um, cancel culture has destroyed so much in humor. Uh, it is hard. I can't even do what I used to do because of cancel culture. I can, but I would be canceled. You know, they just <laughs> there's just. Hopefully the pendulum will swing back to common sense. But right now we're in an age where where you can easily have your career destroyed by a few loud people, even though if it's a vast minority. The problem is people in charge, the people who who, um, you know, are in charge of whether it's a TV studio or TV show or, or, you know, whatever, they're cowards. They won't stand up to the bullies that are canceling people. They won't do it. They're scared. And there's until people start growing a spine and quit being cowards about it, humor will be completely um, just, it'll just be completely, you know, straight jacketed. You can't, you just can't do the things that you used to be able to do. And um, like I said, I never try to offend. That's never my goal. Most comedians don't want to offend. I mean, there are some that's their, that's what they do. They want to offend. Right. But you know, my goal is always just to make people laugh and smile, but, but you know what? Some people don't like to laugh and smile. <laughs> Some people like to be upset. Yeah. There's kind of just a real toxic energy that people, I, I don't yeah. get it, but yeah, some of them really just get a lot of toxic energy from it. But, but I mean, I imagine being a non-syndicated, does that give you a lot of freedom to yeah. decide and what you're going to do? Okay. It does help. It does help because if anything happens to where I do something, um, there's no, if I draw a strip, there's nobody in between me and the reader. There's no filter. I mean, there could be an editor could catch it and go, Hey, I'm not going to run this. And that's certainly happened, you know, several times. Um, now having said that my, I, I am self-syndicated in North America, but because I can't be everywhere, um, uh, King features, the biggest syndicate in the world does have have i belong to king features only for the european market and so they're the ones that have got me in other papers throughout europe and stuff but even they don't seem to really clamp down on me for anything um 
they have a couple times said I couldn't do a certain, or they never have, have said you can't do it. They've said, we, we hope you don't run this one. <laughs> you know? And there's been a couple of times where I've looked at it and go, oh, I can see why they would say that. You know, I can see where, you know, that I didn't think about, you know, a certain aspect of a strip I might have done that I can see might cause a lot of trouble, but it wasn't my intention, but I could see it. So. Right. I mean, can you think of any off the, off the top of your head? Uh, well, there's any one examples. I, yeah. There's one I did where, you know, King features, um, one of their, uh, properties is Popeye and, um, and believe it or not, they still make a lot of money off Popeye and Popeye merchandise. That's a, it's a big thing. Really? Uh, okay. Yeah. For some, it does really well. And so I did a comic strip that had Popeye in it and I'm trying to think he was, um, I'm trying to remember what it was, but he was basically getting busted for, uh, I think he was caught rubbing olive oil all over himself or something like that. It, it, was, it, was, it was some, a double entendre kind of thing where he was, he was, it, it did not show Popeye in a good light. And I can't remember if it was steroids in the spinach or rubbing olive oil on him or whatever it was. Um, anyway, they asked me, they said, we, 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 uh, we really hope that you don't, don't run this trip. Yeah, and that's that's kind of another part about the um, creative process. I don't feel like a whole lot of people really appreciate it. I mean, part of it's just inspiration where it just comes to you and and um, you kind of have that eureka moment. But a lot of it's just putting in the time and in the effort. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, outstanding. All right. Well, Chad, I do really appreciate your time, sir. Um, for those of you who want to find out more about the Tundra comic strip and your upcoming projects, I mean, where's going to be the best place for them to, um, to really plug in and check them out? We kind of mentioned the, the Facebook page. Is that going to be the best place for people to go? Facebook or tundracomics.com. That's our website. And that, uh, of course, has all the, you know, our merchandise, but it also, I always update it with anything that's new, that's happening, whether I'm going to be making an appearance somewhere, signing books, or or if a new movie's going to be coming out, stuff like that. Gotcha. All right. Well, outstanding. Well, again, we do appreciate your time then, and um, all of you, definitely do go check out your uh, most recent Tundra comic strip. If you're moving up to Alaska, this is required reading, so um, thank you, sir, and we will talk to you later. Thank you.